0: Everybody and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanning Grayson's as always, I'm joined by Ross Miriam Ross, how are you doing today, buddy? I am stressed. Tan. Why are you stressed? You okay? Uh,
1: game five is tonight.
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot you're in, <laughs> like, the playoffs. Are you all 2-2 right now?
1: Yes. I don't think... That, the, so the, the issue is there's only two two-day breaks, right? Uh, so the each series, depending upon which series, they all take them at different times, but... There's only two two day breaks over the course of a seven game series, and then there's you know one day breaks every other time. And anytime there's only a one day break between games, I need the day between the two just to recover from the anxiety of watching the, the, the previous one. And you, then, you
0: had your heart rate leveled back out, yeah. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm too old for this tannin, I care way too much, and I'm going out of my mind. I cannot believe that they won game four. I also can't believe they lost the two games, you know, without Luca playing. And then of course they win the game that he plays, even though Luca went nuts and was just making the most ridiculous shots. They go up four with forty seconds left. Do you know me the the somebody I think tweeted out the stat where like over the last 10 years or something if a team is up four or more with 40 seconds left they've only lost four times in playoff games it's like some some number in the hundreds and four and this was the fifth mm-hmm. like it is very difficult for that to happen i don't i don't know if you you know you probably didn't don't know exactly how it did but it involved a mavs player missing two free throws uh to set up so that the and also apparently what was a missed call Um, the, the, if you don't know this, the NBA for any game that's within five minutes at any point or within five points at any point in the last five minutes, which is what they call a clutch game, uh, the NBA will do a review or well, they'll make public, they review everything, but they will make public their review of the last two minutes and any overtime periods of all of those games. And they're called the last two minute reports or L2M. Uh, and so the, this game had an, an L2M and, uh, on the possession after Luca hits this ridiculous step back three to put the Mavs up four, Donovan uh, cuts in from the corner uh, and gets a pass and goes up for a layup, misses the layup, gets the offensive rebound. And then on the putback, which goes in, Luca fouls him. But on the initial layup, he went into the Mavs center, Dwight Powell and, uh, as he's turning to square up for his shot, his elbow catches Powell in the face. Yeah, which is a foul. Um, yeah, yeah it, it wasn't egregious contact, but it's you know a contact to the face. So, uh, but they you know refs missed it. Or Donovan gets the offensive rebound, gets the putback. That was a foul because Lucas standing with his arms, uh, you know, at a forty five degree angle, and they're supposed to be vertical, and you know makes the end one. So now it's a one point game. The Mavericks get a foul call on on Dwight Powell. Powell misses both free throws. Whether or not him getting elbowed in the face previously played into that, who knows?
0: <laughs> he might have had a concussion. <laughs> yeah.
1: So now the, the the Jazz have the ball with you know like twenty seconds left or twenty five, you know, like 20, 30 seconds left, and uh, Donovan finds Rudy on the pick and roll with a lob. They just get a wide open dunk. To go ahead and then uh, play great defense. For whatever reason, the the Mavs now have the ball down one with 11 seconds to play. And for whatever reason, Jason Kidd takes the timeout and then opts not to advance the ball. So they take out the basketball from the other end of the court. And so they spend five seconds just getting it across into the other half of the court. And now they have basically, and and then, you know, the Jazz are face guarding Luka to prevent him from getting the ball. So they spend another second or two just getting Luka the ball. He has no time to do anything. They double him. He has to give the ball up and uh, Dinwiddie gets a difficult three over Gobert uh, that ends well short. So the Jazz squeaked out this game by a single point when they were down four with 40 seconds left. I was watching at Corey's with a million people around me going absolutely nuts, um, and uh, you know now it's two-two. Luke is back for the rest of the series. We're back in Dallas for tonight's game, uh, and I'm. I, I think it's good that we're doing this now, so I at least get some portion of the day where I'm a little bit distracted, yeah, and not just thinking only about this game tonight and what could possibly happen and what adjustments Quinn Snyder is going to make and what adjustments Jason Kidd is going to make. And, you know, are we going to continue guarding more with Boyan like we did in this game because he was so good, but, you know, that was only going to last for so long. And, you know, maybe we'll start hitting some shots ever because we're shooting like 32% from three in the series. And if we're just shooting our normal 36%, 37%, everything would be fine. But I, I could go on, you know, for an hour like this, so
0: oh yeah i'm I'm very aware you
1: you, you keep going (laughs) i'll I'll, I'll try to just cut myself off so you don't have Mm -hmm. to you're welcome
0: uh speaking of you're welcome things that uh I, i feel like we should fix a wrong that happened over the last episode where i forgot to mention something that i had in my notes yeah and i want to make sure that i write that wrong and mention it um you know, as we know, a few weeks ago, the 30K happened in Dallas for, for the SEG, uh, what do they, they call it again? SEG con. Cons. Right, yeah. SEG con. I want to call them an open. It's an SEG open, whatever. <laughs> the 30K that happened. You know, I did some coverage from home. You did not. We kind of talked about it a little bit, but we forgot to mention something that happened at that event that was pretty cool. We forgot to mention the fact that uh, I think it was the 24th placed player from that was none other than our own editor, Brent Wagner. And he actually put up a really, really good run at this event, uh, obviously playing Amulet Titan, his yeah. baby, um, one of his a card that he is desperately looking for will show up on our top eight today because this is our one of our top eight episodes. We're gonna we're gonna talk about our top eight cards from uh, the new set. But I just wanted to make sure that we got a nice shout out and everybody at home know, knows that the editor behind the thing isn't just a pretty face uh, pushing buttons and making it sound good. He could actually sling some cardboard too. You so know. good job, yeah. Brent.
1: I mean, uh, what what was it? They put, they do thirteen rounds of Swiss, right? It was it was kind of a yeah. weird format.
0: I'm pulling go. up. Hold on, I'm pulling up his go. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say I'm pulling up his term report to get like his exact record. Yeah. So I, I would guess
1: he he was like ten three nine four something something like that.
0: Uh, yeah. I knew he was the 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 highest placing amulet player.
1: Yeah. For sure. Um. Give
0: me one moment. It's going really slow, and it's also going to Reddit. Ugh, I hate this site so much. <laughs> but um. Yeah. Let's see here. It looks like it was uh. Yeah, in he won round thirteen to go ten three and one. It looks like.
1: Wait, you mean nine three and one?
0: Uh oh, he was nine and three with one match left, so he went ten and three. I apologize. Nice. So excellent record. That, yeah. That's a record. It's good enough to get you in top eight at a uh, at a normal open that we would have at the SCG tour. Usually, you know with one of the day twos, if you go like ten and three or ten three and one, depending on how many rounds or whatever it is, that's a, that's a record that's good enough depending on when you lose to get you in. Sometimes.
1: Yeah, they were usually. F- uh, 15 round opens when yeah when that was going on and so 103 would have you still in contention
0: well you know what I mean yeah, he, yeah. He, would, he would he'd be there he'd have a shot yeah. so this marks uh yet another time recently that uh Brent has made more money than we did on the weekend playing magic so good job Brent you are awesome and I continue I hope to see continued success from you in some of these events because I feel like He's the one of the team that's, like, actually playing more competitive Magic than us right now. I know you are a decent bit, but...
1: Is, is he leading the podcast in uh, in uh prize in money earnings? income? Yeah,
0: he is leading the podcast in earnings. Um, I, well, I
1: have I have 350 yeah, from I my two tournaments that, played.
0: Well, he has this one, and then he had, like, another decent cash recently,
1: team, yeah. didn't he? If it's, I remember it's, correctly. It's, I think it's close, but it could go either mm-hmm.
0: way. Yeah, so we'll have to see, but he's got a bunch of other stuff. Um
1: it's only a matter of time before brent just replaces us entirely he'll just become the talent and the editor yeah he'll start his own podcast with blackjack and hookers
0: (laughs) well he does actually have a podcast but you mean he just takes over this one yeah yeah yeah. um if anybody's interested in that podcast let me make sure i get the name of it right i don't want to make this wrong yeah it's mtg painful truth is the uh it's at mtg painful truth so uh, I like the name of that podcast though, The Painful Truths. Like, hopefully, they're just like bla- like bluntly honest on that one. Like, yeah, here's why your deck sucks. It's just like, that would Marcus have been a good name our for rules. our podcast. Yeah, that would have been a great name for our podcast. Yeah, exactly. So, but like I said, today's going to be a top eight episode of our podcast where we go over uh, a little more than eight cards, but we're gonna have our top eight for the thing. I say our, it's more Ross's baby for this because, um, a I just, like, could not get a list together. Like, I have cards that I like and cards that I dislike for the set or whatever, but Ross did a lot of the heavy lifting for the intellectual part of this uh, podcast. What else is new? I was about to say the usual (laughs) that goes on. Um, I've been quite busy. For anybody who follows any flesh and blood, you could probably understand why over the last few weeks I've been absurdly busy and then over the last day or two. So this is Monday at 2.30 p.m. my time, 3.30 p.m. Ross's time. A lot of big announcements just happened in the world of Flesh and Blood, so I got a lot of stuff going on there as well. Also, I showed up to play a pre-lease for this event, and the store was just out of packs, so I didn't get to play because it was that popular the day before. Like, I showed up Saturday at noon because I couldn't go to the Friday night one because I had to take care of my dog and I needed to watch the Braves game, and they were just like, yeah, we had way more people than we anticipated. We are completely out of product. And I was like, well, that's good, I guess. Like, Is
1: that... Do you think that is more, you know... People wanting to just play Magic tournaments because it's been so difficult to do so for the last two years, or is it just hype around this set? And people wanting to play New Capenna, a combination of the two. Yes. Is it? It's also. I think there's also another supply? factor.
0: I think there's another factor. I think I didn't ask, but they may have gotten a, a smaller supply of pre-release kits because, like, of the smaller ones in the past. But also, I don't think it could be understated the fact that this is the first pre-release in a long time where paper happened before arena. I think. We can't overlook the fact that that could affect it in some way, shape, or form. The fact that people can't just stay home and draft in an arena for a couple bucks all day long, and then by the time it comes to their local game store, they're like, "Yeah, I'm I'm kind of over it." Because that generally happens to me. I mean, like maybe subconsciously, I'm just like, "Yeah, I don't want to go to the store, waste I say waste, use five hours to play three rounds, and then go home with my few prize packs or whatever." You know, like if we had bigger, high end uh pre-releases i probably play in it more but that's you know not as good for the casual person as well so like you know that's what we used some. to have
1: Tannen. you remember
0: oh the bi- the one yeah, big the ones in each 20, year, god, 20 years 20 years ago god i loved those so much it'd be like flight J, you know with like 100 yeah. people in it yeah yeah <laughs> and that one's
1: like for the box and the, yeah, the rest exactly. of them are like you know five rounds for some packs
0: yeah exactly there'd be some crazy amount but without further ado, let's go ahead and just get into uh, Streets of New Capanna, like you were talking about, and some of these cards. Let me pull up your list that you sent me, because we're going to go ahead and kind of just fire off some of these cards that we're going to talk about today, and what we think they're going to do, why we like them, why we don't like them, or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I believe that number eight, the card that we're going to start with, is the card that you and I actually had quite a bit of talk about, because this is a card that I liked and I got on the list, and that's Strangle. For everybody at home, this is a sorcery that costs one red mana, and it deals three damage to target creature, Or planeswalker so while being a sorcery can kind of hold this card back a little bit the fact that it's one mana and it's gonna generally trade with most one two and three drops in the in standard and standard adjacent sets as I'm gonna say because there's so many damn formats now on these things I think it's a big feather in the cap of this card being very good Uh, you and I talked about this quite a bit we think you know sorcery keep it from being busted obviously you don't want to have like a pseudo reprint of bolt I actually have a small problem with this card, and I don't like one thing about it. I actually don't like the printing of this card for the format Pioneer. And not to say that I don't think this card will be good or used in the format. We haven't seen it a whole lot yet. Like, we've had a little bit of Pioneer with some of the new cards. But I don't like this card in the format where um, you saw a lot of the decks, like, if there were Aggro decks. when like, let's be, let's be real. A lot of the Pioneer decks, the Aggro decks they're not as good because the other decks have better nut draws when you're not interacting with them you're just trying to run their life total down they're like all right i'll either combo you out or i'll put 17 permanents in play if you're the mono green deck etc etc right but one of the ways that we've seen traditionally the aggro decks you know the creature decks like mono blue i mean sorry mono black and some you know mono whites and stuff like that is they've played a lot of two drops or three drops that have three toughness or ways to, you know, have, you know, get some value if they die. And you've seen the removal kind of switch for that in this format, right? But you've seen that like the traditional one-for-one removal, especially in red in this format, has been variants of shock. And now you kind of have a variant of bolt. And maybe I'm overstating this, but like looking at it from an outside perspective, I don't love this for that format because it's going to again just kind of harp on those creature-based decks a little bit more in my opinion, and I don't love that for the format cuz kind of want to be able to have a deck where someone just goes creature 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 like attack you like you know magic in some of its purest form.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know it's possible that acro decks are able to adapt to this and just start playing more, you know, four toughness creatures in certain spots um when they need to, but it'll certainly change the the texture of that game, you know, every every format as that game you play where, you know, what's the common removal, what are the really powerful threats, how do they line up against each other, and what are the threats that match up well against the common removal uh, that I can play, and then what are the niche removal spells I need to play to deal with those niche threats that people are playing, and so on and so on. Um, You're right, that Pioneer has largely been you know centered around those shock variants it was you know, i remember how much wild slash shot up when the format was first announced and everybody was looking for them and they were like five dollars a piece and yeah. uh you know uh, all stores were sold out of them uh and then we we've since gotten you know uh what play with fire and i think there's another one um
0: yeah sure yeah this uh, is uh, like Flame, slightly Flame different go. really good yeah, yeah that's the yeah, that. one uh
1: yeah so we, we've gotten a lot of different variants of shock that have you know uh, slight differences to them, which is which is nice because you want to have that variety. Um, but this one, just dealing that extra point of damage and making sure that you can answer various three toughness creatures really is a big deal. Um, and the sorcery part of it, I- I'm usually worried when removal spells are sorcery speed because it often makes it difficult to uh, sequence them effectively. You know, you, you, oftentimes you want to just immediately deal with the You know, uh, creature your opponent played on their previous turn. If you weren't able, especially if you're a reactive deck and you're not consistently using your mana in the early game, you know, having a sorcery speed removal spell means that you've got to wait till you untap, and now you can't, potentially can't curve out the way you wanted to. That is mitigated to some extent by the fact that this just only costs one. So you're so often just going to be able to double spell with it, and then if you're a proactive deck, if you're just playing a mo- like mono red or any sort of red aggressive deck, you know, even if you're a Phoenix deck, you know, you're going to be playing the removal spells in your turn, triggering your Arc Light Phoenixes and things like that. Uh, Strangle is going to do a lot of good things, and you know, we've already seen this exact effect really or, or very close to it in um, in Standard be among the best removal spells. It's usually a two mana instant, right? There's the one, the one that exiled something after it dealt three to a creature, or planeswalker. If so it would die, you exile it. Fire, I can't remember.
0: not fire. Prophecy It was like dragon's fire or something like that. So, so yeah, like,
1: Sarkin's Dragonfire
0: or something. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, the, the traditional one in red for three damage card.
1: That we yeah, get in every, every like standard. The, you know, So we know this card's going to be good in standard. Like that effect has been g- good in standard for you know, four years straight. Yeah,
0: this this will be a this will be a problem unless something weird happens. This will be a very premier card in every deck that can cast it in standard, especially if like. Creature decks become popular. If mono red is a popular deck, all the mono red decks are going to play it for the mirror and then for other matchups too.
1: Yeah, um, you know, with unholy heat around, I, I doubt we see this card sneak into modern. Um, uh, yeah, it's but, probably
0: just a little too weak at sorcery, right? I mean, yeah, you have Lightning yeah. Bolt. So like, uh,
1: you know, once you have when you have bolt and unholy heat already, like it, it seems like it's going to be hard. So, but you know significantly impacting pioneer modern or pioneer standard uh you know alchemy and uh and i guess potentially historic but i never know what cards are in historic this there's also the,
0: 17 more formats there's a new one um what explorer is just got announced as well no, which
1: that, is that one's pioneer and e-a-r
0: in yeah, e-a-r yeah, yeah yeah exactly i've seen that that's very cute um I have questions about that. We'll see. It's going to take years for that to happen, so it's not really on my radar yet. So we'll see that. But a uh, lot to like about Strangle, a lot to dislike. I, I think this one's going to be like a pretty high variance on this. It's either going to be like not played at all, or it's going to be very, very impactful. And you'll see you'll see the impact of like decks having it, and then decks having to play around it. You know, like you said, decks are going to have to change. You know, the kind of creatures they're playing, or you know, does my creature get value off this thing? Because you know, a lot of times, a lot of these decks, if a creature is is bad for them, you know, thinking of. uh I literally just blanked. The three drop in red that players can't gain life and it deals damage to you when you play a creature. Rampaging Frosadon. Rampaging Frosadon, yeah. It's, cause like the, the fact that the person can just untap, play their land, kill your Frosadon for one mana, and then do whatever they were going to do for the rest of the turn and, st- and not utilize two or three mana on their turn is a big
1: deal yeah you know three mana three toughness now becomes a lot sketchier in pioneer yes. whereas that was kind of the sweet spot right yeah beforehand because you couldn't you, push it you, and you, you die you dodge fatal push all the time you dodge shock and that like yeah. that so we really the, the fact that this card kind of fills that gap that removal has kind of makes you know, me angry has had at least one mana removal in pioneer is definitely a big deal And honestly, it it tilts the, the balance of power further in favor of red versus black when it comes to just the quality of removal that exists all right let's
0: go ahead and move on to number seven this is Fleetfoot Dancer when you sent it to me you sent you sent it to me as Fleetwood Dancer and I took yeah me a that minute sounds to figure like something out, I would do yeah like, <laughs> it might have been autocorrect too you know what I mean like might have autocorrected it yeah. to, to Fleetwood because like isn't isn't that like a band or something so, Fleetwood Mac is yeah, yeah. yeah I figured yeah so Fleetwood Dancer everybody at home this is a did you really ahead, have to ask me that is that I was confirming I knew but anyway sorry but like should can you name a Fleetwood Mac song I'm sure i know them and not off the top of my head. But you yeah. can't name
1: one off the top of your head.
0: I'm sure can there's name- a song from Fleetwood Mac that I'm like, yeah, I know that song yeah. but I don't know it's them. You can you know? go
1: your own way or yeah, Rumors sure. or Landslide. Sure. sure. Stevie Nicks. Sure. It started as a Peter Green-led band. They did the original Black Magic Woman. All and of Santana these are words that I understand, but I don't know what they mean. I just... I, I, it's not it's not registering with me, Tannin. I don't know how you don't know.
0: Anyway, Fleetwood... Da- Fleet Foot Dancer here <laughs> yeah. is what... I'm going to call this Fleetwood Dancer for the rest of my life. There's one red, green, white for a four-floor... Four-four... <laughs> dancing floor. Uh, Elf Druid. <laughs> that's got Trample, Lifelink, and Haste. So this is like the new Naya take on Lightning Angel. I like this card. I think this card's really good. You know, it's a four-four for four, four mana. Trample, Lifelink, haste. A lot of like to like there. If there's a deck that wants to cast this card in Standard or any of the Standard adjacent sets on Arena, this is a good kind of curve topper on turn four. It's a really good one to, uh, to to like finish off your opponent right when you're curving out. It's a good one after Wrath effects or Sweeper effects. It's a really good card to answer Planeswalkers that have come into play as well in these formats.
1: So a lot to like here, Ross. Why, why is this one so high on your list? Uh, So the the what really elevates it to me is that, you know, th- these haste threats tend to be very good against mid-range and controlling decks, right? Because they're a great card to play after a wrath to get the pressure on. They attack Planeswalkers really effectively. You know, they deal the last few points of damage when you draw them off the top late. But because this one also has lifelink, it becomes quite good against aggressive decks as well. You know, this is a card that can really help you turn the corner if you're the, you know, slightly bigger aggressive deck and your opponent has gotten under you. Rather than having to sit back and play defense and sometimes hope they don't have the removal spell, you just get to play this card attack. And they have to use the removal spell probably on your tapped creature now, which doesn't make it any easier for them to attack you back. Um, And if they don't have the removal spell, suddenly they probably have to hold back because you're just not winning a race against this card. This is the race winner.
0: Yeah, the, the, there's been cards like this in the past for for aggro decks, you know, the one card where it's like, oh man, I hope this doesn't happen. Like, you know, you think of like the white decks in the past versus the green decks, it's usually like the five mana angel variant card. You know, the, the, the Lyra's, the, you know, the, that card that... They play, and it's like, well, this stops everything unless I have the removal spell right away. Here's the thing. You need to be untapped and have an instant speed removal spell that can kill this now to stop in a lot of formats. Because a lot of the times the 8 life swing is going to be enough to win those games if you have to, like, untap and then spend your turn or part of your turn killing this thing at sorcery speed. Now, when I say sorcery speed, you could have an instant but not have the mana at the time to kill this. And let's be real. And, you know, in standard stuff, you're going to be you know, pretty, you know, you have something like void rend from the new set, or Faithful Absence, you know, like one of these removal spells, you know, Otherworldly Light, but like you're spending a lot of mana to kill these things, or you're spending two mana giving them a clue, so there's not a ton of stuff, like, you know, there's not a lot of red answers at instant speed for this, and stuff, so this is going to be a hard card for red decks to answer in the future, like on curve or on time, so I definitely like the point, I think Lifelink if it just had trample and haste, I don't think this card would be anywhere near as good without having the lifelink. So I think yeah. you're really Th- good at Then it would out. be
1: more of like a card I play in mid-range and control heavy metagames as an aggressive deck because it's a really hard hitting, individually powerful threat. But now it becomes an all-around good card across the entire metagame spectrum. Yeah.
0: I want to copy this card without like no offense to the whoever did this or whatever, I want to copy this card without the um flavor text. Kind of like the second printings of Lightning Angel that just had the three words in the tech box. You know, yeah, back when, they, when they finally give Vigilance a, because uh, like originally Vigilance was an ability when Lightning Angel printed, so it had to have the attacking does not cause this to tap yeah. text, and then it just got the super clean text. I love the super clean text box. Speaking of text box that aren't super clean because they just have a million words in them. Uh, uh
1: every are, card in most sets printed is yes, that we're talking and, about now, that's number six.
0: Yeah, number six, a card that you like, and a card that Brent likes a lot and has already ordered a super funky great version of this card. And that's and it's also my favorite flavor win of the set, or one of my favorite flavor wins of the set, and that is Titan of Industry. For everybody at home, if you haven't seen this one yet, it's four green 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 for a seven seven elemental. Uh it's got Reach and Trample. And then when it enters the battlefield, you get to choose two of four abilities. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. Target player gains five life. Create a four, four green rhino warrior creature token. Or put a shield counter on a creature you control. Ross, there's a lot to like here. Why is
1: this one so high on your list? We talked about this one in the last episode a bit. uh, And, uh, you know, obviously it's doing powerful things. But the thing that really stands out to me is that The selection of abilities on that, you know, command trigger, I guess I'll call it, because that's basically what it is. It's a command spell, you know, four modes, choose two. That is a very good group of triggers to have because you're going to always find a set of two of them that is relevant. You can answer different permanents. You can make a big battlefield if you need it. You can make a battlefield that's difficult to answer, uh, and if you're really far behind, you can gain a little bit of life. So it does virtually everything you would want it to do other than, like, fight a creature, right? Which would make it really, really, really good. Um, And that versatility is really nice to see alongside a card that has just powerful stats. So when, when you get versatility without sacrificing efficiency or raw power, you're doing something really good. So... This is a card that I don't mind ramping into. I think it's a great singleton-packed target for Amulet Titan decks in Modern. You can play it in Green Devotion decks in Pioneer. Um, and you, you know you can play it at the top end of, of a curve in a bigger deck in Standard as well. So the fact that I could see it seeing play in all three formats uh, made it a no-brainer for a spot on the list. Not saying it's guaranteed to do that, but... Uh, it is definitely above the bar for every single one of those formats. Um, Agreed. I just i I keep coming back to like how if you just took that trigger as a sorcery speed spell, like how much would that card cost?
0: Yeah, and how much is what a seven seven reach trample worth yeah. to you? Because when you put them together, it's, you're you're getting a you're getting a good deal.
1: That that trigger has to cost at least five. Because yeah, you're thinking right. of what um, primal command? Yeah, it's very very, very i thinking of, like how much do they charge you for a four four with upside? Like a four four that blows up an artifact or a champion? Really that's four, that, mana, that's a five yeah. mana card. That's Endric yeah. Stompowler. and that and that card saw a little bit of play. That you, you know you're getting a better card than that. So it's that's like a three green green card, maybe four green green, Yeah. right? You know, and you're getting that along with a seven seven for your seven mana.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I'm a big fan of this card because, like you said, um. Uh, the the biggest thing for me is, it, it, you hit on this, and I think it's super important is how well all of the factor. I mean, all of the situations are going to come up in a game of Magic, and you want your seven drop to be able to answer those or you know turn a game in that that you're losing or your parity into winning. This card is going to cover enough of those at a time. It's not like you know like there's definitely situations where you cast Primal Command on five and like I'm like I I want one of these modes, but the other one's just like whatever. You know, yeah, gaining seven is, like, whatever. Like, there's games where you're, like, I don't want to gain five life, but I might want to put a shield counter on my thing, make a 4-4. Four, four. Now they have to answer two of my creatures. So, like, a Wrath only answers the 4-4 four, four now, right? So now they need yeah. multiple cards to kill my threat. If you're playing against an aggro deck, you're, like, make a 4-4, four, four, gain five life. You know, if they've used something like Portable Hole or any of the Oblivion Ring things, you're like, all right, kill that, make a 4-4, have a huge board now, or whatever. Or kill that, put a shield counter on this. Now I have, like, multiple threats that I'm threatening you with all over the place. Don't forget it's got reach, too, which is pretty big. You know, it can block something like a fleetfoot Foot Dancer that we were just talking about. So this card will often rule the battlefield once in play as well.
1: Yeah, you, you cover flying attackers. You can cover a large you know, squad on the ground by making two blockers. You cover sweepers by with the shield counter. You cover a single like bounce spell or exile-based spell by making an extra body, and you can answer a wide range of permanents because there's so many artifacts and enchantments floating around. Like, there, it's just impossible or it's, it's going to be very difficult to find yourself in a spot where casting this for seven mana doesn't, you know, put you, be, like, catch you back up from a bad spot or put you in a commanding position from an even spot. And that's yeah, what you this, need from your expensive spells. Yeah, if this card can't do it, there's probably not a card in the
0: format that can
1: do it. <laughs> so... And, 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 you, and it's an ETB trigger, so you can, like, reanimate this card. mm mm-hmm. uh, Flicker it in
0: some way, shape, or yeah. form. Yeah. it doesn't have the, like, enters and attacks like you usually see from Titans, but... Uh, like you said, if you reanimate it, you, you can get the thing, or if you have any kind of other way to do it. There's there's still some ways to abuse this ability. Uh, for our next card on the list, that's number, I think, 5 already. Uh, I like the name of this one quite a bit. This is Professional Facebreaker. And for everybody at home, it's 2 and a red. For a human warrior, it's a 2-3 of menace. When more one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, create a treasure token. You can sacrifice your treasure token and exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn so i like this card a lot because it's got menace right on a two three body so at least it's got a little bit of evasion built in so you can probably get a hit in with it with it to get its own trigger now it does say when one or more creatures you control not it so you can play it you know pre-combat on turn attack with some of your creatures get that treasure token if you need to and then this does actually like fall in line with the the red cards that we've seen in the last few years that the red decks have kind of needed because they need something to have like some form of card advantage and the red cards generally don't give you traditional card advantage where it's like do something draw a card it's usually something like the chandra ability is what a lot of us call this right where you exile a card from the top of your library and then you get to maybe cast that card now this is the same a play light of
1: the stage and reckless impulse and escape the wilds yeah
0: this is the this is the prototypical red card advantage thing now. Uh, being a human warrior could be relevant human is a subtype that that matters warrior actually matters a little bit in some spaces too i like this card a lot three mana for a 2 3 is a little fragile for my taste though ross what about you
1: yeah um you know it, it certainly can you know uh, you know it can die but you're likely generating immediate value because of, you're able to attack with other creatures and get that treasure so you've gotten something out of it my thing is that It seems very much seems like Watsi is pushing treasures, we've just seen a lot more you know treasure makers around, and you know they they've proven to be pretty powerful. You know the the ability to be able to uh, get that little burst of tempo so that you get to you know play your four drop on turn three or double spell on turn four when you wouldn't have been able to and really pull ahead has proven to be really good. And you want to be playing a lot of them so that you draw them consistently and draw them early. Now, when you play a lot of them, you then run the risk of flooding. And then you have all these treasures around and nothing to do with them. And so the thing I really like about Facebreaker is, yeah, as long as you have stuff to do, use the the treasures for mana. And then you're going to, this is just a 2-3 that's generating you extra mana every single turn, uh, while also being able to attack and or block. Uh, And that's great. But when you run out of stuff to do, now you know, you know your treasures aren't useless. Your treasures are now becoming extra cards, and you're finding the next wave of threats to cast against your opponent. And even if they've dealt with all your other creatures, as long as this one stays around, Menace is going to make it relatively easy to keep generating those treasures each turn, especially in a red deck that should have plenty of removal. So I, I, I always like having that kind of optionality to play the game in a variety of different ways, and that's what Facebreaker does. You can press your early mana advantage and outtempo your opponent by using the treasures for mana, or you now have the option of using them to generate card advantage and set up a long game. And that kind of versatility has been a hallmark of successful cards and decks over the last five years, I would say, yeah. uh, if not more, in Magic. Um, so I'm always on the lookout for cards that provide that kind of versatility, and that's what Facebreaker looks like to me.
0: Yeah, the last thing I'm going to say about this is it does kind of give me experimental frenzy vibes where, like, this is actually a good top deck later in the game you have a bunch of mana if you still got treasures sitting around because you can play this for three mana. Sacrifice a treasure, play the top card of your deck, right, it's a land, whatever, play it. Sacrifice another treasure. Keep, keep, oh, it's a one-drop? Play it. Sacrifice another treasure. Oh, it's a two-drop? Play it. Like, you can just keep going, right? And so you've got creatures like Magda and stuff like that in Standard right now that, you know, just generate uh, some advantage you know you can even maybe go all the way up to the, the five mana dragon that generates uh, some treasures and like that's the struggle sometimes in the red deck right Is like sometimes you generate a lot of treasures you don't have anything to use them for and then like I've generated this stuff now I don't get anything from it and so this is a card that fixes that problem in these decks so I like this card a lot I think you might even see this card show up in some uh, commander stuff as well with some of these decks, if like they do a oh. lot of treasure decks, you're just like, yeah, just turn my deck over, pretty much. Yeah. There's so many ways to generate so many f- free things there. All right, what was the next one on the list? Number four is going
1: to be Riveteer's Charm. You read that one for us, Ross? This is the Jund one, so uh, red, black, green, instant, uh, choose one. You can either have your opponent sacrifice a creature or planeswalker of the highest mana value uh, that they control, uh, target opponent, so... Um, Can't do it to
0: yourself. Yeah, it's important. Yeah.
1: Uh, exile, the t- uh, next mode is exile the top three cards of your library. Until your next end step, you may play those cards. And last mode is exile target player's graveyard. We talked a bit about this one over the last couple episodes. Uh, ob- obvious comparison here is to Abzan Charm. Uh, I think it's pretty easy. You know, the the Absent Charm was a a mode that exiled a big creature, power three or greater. This is generally going to deal with a big creature or Planeswalker. So I would say, uh, you know, slight edge to Riveteer's Charm there. Exile the top three cards of your library. Until your next end step, you may play those cards. Um, Or draw two, lose two. Honestly, pretty comparable. I would say slight edge to draw two, lose two, just because you have more optionality. But there is the upside here. It's, It's sort of a higher variance effect. You know, you could exile a bunch of expensive cards and not be able to use them all immediately. Um, And it's also hard to, like, tap out for something like this on on your turn if you have to. Like, if your opponent has a Teferi, you know, the the draw mode gets a lot worse here. But then Absent Charm's third mode was put two plus and plus one counters on a creature, exiling a graveyard significantly better. So, so, on the whole, I think this card compares favorably to Abzan Charm, which was far and away the best charm of the previous cycle, and what I maintained was secretly the key to Abzan being the best con, or best, did they call them con? Uh, yeah, uh, in Cons of Tarkir. You know, a Siege Rhino got all the press, it was, you know, supposedly oppressive, people wanted to ban it for some reason, um... And if you really look back on it, I think it was Absent Charm that really, you know, made those decks. Siege Rhino has sort of fallen flat on its face in Pioneer, um, and I think it's the card that people wanted to be good the most that it was just absolutely never good. Yeah, but this is a card with, with that exile mode now on it. You know, I think it. I think it raises the level a bit. Um, you know. I can. I will definitely think we'll see Riveteer's Charm in standard, and I think Jund Colors get significantly better because this card exists. But being able to deal with a Planeswalker as well out of the removal mode, you know, against control decks, um, you know, makes this card significantly better. And then, um, you know, sometimes just drawing three cards out of it. You know, any time that you're casting this card on the end step and untapping, playing a land and playing two spells off of it, like a three mana draw three is insane. So the upside here and the the additional relevant mode, not to say that you didn't ever put counters on a creature with Absinthe Charm, uh, I probably did more than most because <laughs> I tended to play the more aggressive versions of Absinthe. But um, the, this has that same versatility we were talking about with Facebreaker, where it can be it can be that answer that you needed to be, and if your opponent doesn't play the threat or play something that you can freely ignore, then you just cast it for the draw mode, and you're you're always happy to hold mana up and pass the turn with this card in your hand. Uh, you know, no matter what your opponent does, you know, and now you have the added functionality of sometimes stopping a you know reanimation spell or some sort of graveyard based combo or arc you know exiling a couple arc light phoenixes. You know, this would be a nice main deck card for like a Jund midrange strategy. You know, we've seen we've seen Rakdos midrange be a deck. I guess they they already have a ton of, uh, you know, exile-based effects in that deck in Pioneer with Graveyard Trespasser and things like that. But, you know, but maybe they turn into a Jund deck and start playing some more generically powerful cards while relying on Riveteer's Charm as their graveyard interaction. Um, now that this is an option. But I, I just think that one-two punch of being a removal spell or a card draw spell is uh, you know really, really strong. It's proven to be strong. And here, I think it's gotten even better.
0: So what you're saying is the thing you like the most about it is that versatility. And I think that's really important to, to, to remember when we move on to the next card, which is number three. And this is one of my favorite cards in the set. And that's Endless Detour. If you like versatility, you're going to like this card. This card is a bad card. It costs green, white, blue. It's an instant. It says, the owner of target spell, non-land permanent, or a card in a graveyard puts it on the top or bottom of their library. So this card kind of is like, it's kind of like a catch-all, right? It's it's pseudo remand, Like, you don't draw the card, but it does put the spell back, right? Either on top of their deck where they have to draw it again. It's kind of like a time walk thing. Or they have to put it on the bottom because, like, oh, I don't want to draw this card again. Or it bounces something from play. You know, a non-land permanent on top of their deck or the bottom of their deck. Or you can even make a pseudo-regrowth out of this in your own deck so lots of versatility here ross is that why you like this one so much as well
1: yeah definitely and in this case it's uh it's the same kind of versatility that make made drown in the lock such an effective card you know counter spells are really valuable when you're in those top deck scenarios you always feel like you're in control when you have one because you know your opponent has to top deck twice and you only have to deck once and that's a lot harder um, but if you load your deck with too many counter spells then you you know make yourself vulnerable to your opponent coming out early and you falling behind so and then removal spells is a lot better at catching you up but you know uh, if you're if it's like the wrong removal spell or you draw too many and your opponent has threats that keep generating card advantage then you know then you really need the counter spell to stop those sort of like Muldrifter kind of creatures from uh, you know outgrinding you so endless detour allows you to tailor your draw, just like drowning the did, towards having you know a counter spell when you need it or a removal spell when you need it. So if you draw it when you're behind, it's the, the thing that can help you catch up. Uh, and if you draw it while you're ahead, it's the thing that will stop your opponent from catching up. So once again, you, you just illib- look the it's the type of versatility where the different modes cover the weaknesses of each other. And that's what I am often looking for, uh, because that means you have a card with a significantly raised floor. It's never going to be bad, and you know three mana removal doesn't have the highest of ceilings. um, But you know, anytime you're countering a three, four, five mana spell with this, or answering a big threat with it, you know you're going to be pretty happy. Uh, And then you know, once again, the graveyard mode is tacked onto it, so you can stop a reanimation spell. Uh, from your opponent if you need to with this card uh, and stop it in a much better way than just, you know, doing the, the counterspell part. You can um, you know, you can rebuy a threat from, from you know, your own graveyard uh, if that's going to be a, a game-ending play. And then if you're in those top deck wars, you know if you're afraid about something that's, for whatever reason, Endless Detour is not going to be able to stop like, you can uh, I guess that oh, they get to pick, you know, ignore me there. Um, but it, it does a lot. It, this is a card that does so many things. You're gonna have to play with it just to realize all the different corner cases where it does something relevant that you can't didn't even think of off the top of your head, and that's also a, something I like.
0: I do want to point out it does interact with can't be countered spells as well. It does get around that clause because we've seen stuff like that in the past. Because this doesn't counterspell something; it just affects the spell. It just moves the spell around. So you know if you're if you're like a tempo bant deck, you know if you're like spirits or whatever, and you keep losing to um, what's the name of the wrath? I, I'm so blank today. Yeah, they keep getting supreme verdict. I wanted to say the other one. You keep getting supreme verdict. There's a card that can answer that while we'll also being decent in some other spots and stuff too. So this is a card that, like you said, a lot of versatility. You're gonna have to play with it, and like you're gonna see the like. I get to use the whole buffalo here. Like there's so many cool things, and then the first time
1: you regrowth with it too, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, this is this is really good. This is where it's at. Yeah, so I, I expect this card to be significant in any sort of bank color deck and standard i expect it to sneak into spirits and in pioneer um you know and i just i expect it in decks that can cast it to be a of the card that rounds out their removal suite because you know we're not it's not about you know do you know it's not about completely reinventing the wheel here. We just want to, you know, bias our draws to get that extra, you know, few percentage points so that we, you know, we have the counterspell when we need it uh, more often, but we also have the removal spell when we need it a little bit more often. So, playing a couple copies of this in like a Bant control deck in Modern that plays, you know, that is virtually a blue white deck with like Growth Spiral, Ice Fang, quaddle, and this. Like, I can I can imagine doing something like that.
0: Yeah, and absolutely.
1: having a really versatile, uh, you know, sort of draw-go control deck. Uh, I think
0: Spike but, has a deck that he plays quite often that does exactly that.
1: Yeah, you know, you could play it in like a in like a Bant Reclamation deck, too.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that's what it is. Yeah,
1: yeah it, would, it would fit really well. So um, uh, I see a lot of different homes for it. It's not going to be, you know, in older formats, or especially modern, it's not going to be this like 4 of staple. You know, it's a three-man interactive spell. There's only so many of those you can really play. Um, but in standard of pioneer where three mana isn't nearly as much of a cost now you're getting a card that is on rate that like maybe is a half mana behind or something like that if you want to you know throw out arbitrary numbers but is is not not far behind on rate you know uh by much if it is at all and is also incredibly versatile you know that that's the same thing i've harped on now multiple times get gaining versatility without giving up efficiency
0: all right let's talk about what card you have as number two, and I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of this one as well. I think this one's going to sneak its way into some spots that we haven't even really considered yet, just because of like the power level of this card and what it can do. This is Tainted Indulgence. It's a blue and a black instant that says draw two cards, then discard a card unless there are five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard. So there's some obvious stuff here, right? It's two mana, draw two, which is like pretty good at instant speed. We don't really get that that much in Magic. Two, this is just like instant speed chart, of course, a card that very much defined some formats that is in it's still getting played in pioneer and decks like you know uh phoenix and stuff like that so if you have some kind of blue black reanimator type deck this is a card that i'm leaning into very heavily and very excited for and then there's decks where as the game goes on as the game gets later you know by turns six seven eight you know if you're a control deck and you, you run a few of these like especially if you can get a, a way to put a land in your deck with a lot of these cycling lands that are in the, that are in the format now it's probably not hard to find the second half of this of this uh, of the sentence here, the second half of this card, and just be like, yeah, this is just a draw two now. You know, I've got a one drop, a two drop, a three drop, a four drop, and a zero drop, or I've got a one through three and a five and a zero. You know, so you definitely you definitely can find ways to draw two cards with this without the draw, like quote unquote drawback, and then you can get any value off of it. I think this card is very very powerful.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think being an instant makes it a lot easier yep. to stomach being a uh, catalog, um, where you know, so, yeah, so you catalog. Can, yeah, it
0: took me a yeah. minute. I was like, yeah.
1: <laughs> you can hold up, hold up a piece of interaction on turn two and just cast this card if they do something and, and remove their creature if they, uh, uh, or cast this card if they don't do anything, remove their creature if they do, uh, and pull yourself ahead. Make sure you hit your land drops, all that you know, happy stuff. Maybe generate a little bit of value, discarding you know cards that you can access in the graveyard in some way, uh, because there's always a million of those around. And I don't think it's going to be that hard. To, to turn that clause on. So I think it compares pretty favorably to Charter Course. Uh, it's not going to be the kind of card that goes into like Phoenix because it has this awkward mana cost. This is more a Charter Course that you're putting into an average deck. Uh, and you can put into more controlling decks, and especially ones that have any sort of reanimation theme. You know, we, We've seen the, the sort of fair reanimator decks in Modern. Uh, I haven't been a big fan of them, but... Uh, this I think is the best enabler they've had so far. It's instant speed and draw two, discard one. So I think those are the the best parts of Charter Course and Faithful Mending, and uh, you've put them both together uh, into one card and left out the the mediocre parts of each of those. So this this is a card I would immediately try as a four of in that deck and start building you know more closely around it. Maybe you can stay demure and you don't have to stretch your mana and you yeah, can have a, a, a deal. and then play your griefs and your griefs get better. Um And, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you have some other way to, to, you know, take advantage of the discard outlets and, you know, because Black has so many, you know, a million ways to utilize the graveyard in Modern. Um, so, you know, maybe that's now an option, but uh, even in, you know, Pioneer, like demure Control, I could see this card you know, being fine. It's like their version of expressive iteration. And granted, you know it's not as good as expressive iteration, but what is? Yeah,
0: and you have you have like some upside too, right? Like you could discard a card like Memory Deluge or something. It's like you're only kind of discarding a card, you know, like later. Like I'm putting this on layaway. I'll I'll get this back later. I will recoup this somehow.
1: Or you're filling your graveyard for your dig through time. So you're you're draw your draw two discard through, yeah. one is also netting you two more man on the back end. So it was basically yeah. free. <laughs> it's it's kind of like Thought Scour was, right? Yeah, you know? and then like
0: or like you're pitching. You're like, well, I have a zero. I have a one. I have a two. Let me pitch this five drop. Or I have a zero, I have a one, I have a three. Let me pitch this five. Drop now the two and the five, are in my graveyard. So my next one draws two cards now. So yeah. like you know, like th- this is this is, this card is pretty cool. The more I think about it, the more I'm looking at. It, I'm like, this is one of the ones that when I looked at, it, I'm like, yeah, that looks good. But like when you really sit down, you really think about it, start going through, it, you're like. Yeah, this one might actually start showing up in a lot of spots. And, like, I wouldn't be surprised to see it show up somewhere. This one's cards that, like, you, you'll see it show up in a deck list, and you're like, yeah, that's just smart. I didn't think about that, but that just makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that this card should be there. And, you know, thinking about it in modern, in those persist, on unmarked graveyard animator shells, like, that's where it makes the most sense to me. Um, and I hadn't thought of that initially just because, you know, it didn't just jump off the page to me as a good modern card, but I think it has a, a reasonable home. And like I said, like I I when I'm playing that fair reanimator deck, I want, I don't want my enablers to be super all in because I don't want my deck to be all in. I want to be able to play a bit of a controlling game, uh, and generate, you know, and win by hard casting an archon on turn eight if i need to if, because my opponent has you know drawn three pieces of graveyard hate and rather than try to fight through all of them i'll just ignore my graveyard for the game because i can and now i'm casting this card as just a generic value card and improving the quality of my hand without falling behind because my opponent cast a rest in peace on their turn sure um, and, you know instead of doing instead of advancing their battlefield in a more meaningful way so this is the card that that lets you do that while also you know In modern, when I tap out for charter course on turn two, I'm kind of afraid. it's, especially if I'm on the draw, like I've gotten to turn three, like hopefully I interacted on turn one or you have maybe like a force of negation or something, but you just fall behind so quickly that tapping out for that kind of card uh, card selection on turn two is not something that you can do consistently and it's not something you want to sign yourself up to do consistently. So this lets you hold up your interaction, you know, but maybe you're playing, you know, you're playing counterspell. So now I've got counter spell plus this up and maybe a removal spell in my hand or like a fatal push or something like that. So and we're back.
0: Sorry about that. Hopefully Brent can splice this together. I have, I have full confidence he can as long as it's it's if it's doable, he'll do it. But uh, sorry about that. Uh, I just got hit by a storm in the middle of this. And my breaker flipped like my power stayed, but my Internet went out. So hopefully the file for both of these gets saved and the audios all together because we have to redo this whole thing. I'm going to lose it. We've had to do that before. And it's, it does not make for good podcasting. But Ross was finishing up talking about Tainted Indulgent. Hopefully enough of it got there. So that gets us to the number two on our list. We've got a few things before we get to number one. We're doing the typical TV thing, you know, where, like, they have the countdowns, and you get to number two, and they're like, oh, wait, well, here's all the other stuff first before you get to number one. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about our two sponsors, so we make sure that we talk about them. The first one, the OG. That's Barrister and Man, man two and Barristerandman.com. Make sure you check them out. They've got some new scents coming up. Uh, you know, you can get cologne. You can get shaving stuff there. You can get soaps. Lots of new smells. Uh, sandalwood. Was recently, I don't, I, I'm I'm pr- I'm pretty sure it's made available on the site because I was I was offered it, so I'm assuming everybody else can get it. If not, wait for that sandalwood come out, to come out. Sounds pretty awesome. I'm a big fan. And then don't forget about our newest sponsor, and that is Mox Roasters. You want to make sure that you check them out. Um, I tried out another one of the flavors from them recently since the last one because, like I said, I'm going to be a little slower than I want to be in trying out the flavors just because you know I'm not, I'm not the kind of person. I don't drink multiple cups a day so I don't go through it really fast, but um, I recently tried out the, I'm trying to remember how to pronounce this one, the the Costa Rica one, I tried out that one, and it was really good, Um, it tastes just as good as, like, other, you know, of the higher-end coffee brands, it, like, very comparable, liked it a lot, it has, for me, the biggest thing, Ross, that I liked about it is the flavor was, like, soft, right, like, it wasn't, like, hit you in the face or, like, barrel you over with it. It was like a, which is something I don't want in the morning, right? I don't want anything that's like too sweet, too sour, too bitter, or too strong in the morning. And coffee can have that sometimes. This one's a little bit softer one. And then I think you've heard me talk about this. One of my favorite things about coffee that gets you is the smell, you know, the smell of coffee in the morning. Like it's just, it's just as good as actual coffee in the morning for me, but like the smell of it gets me the aroma of this one. Top notch, big fan. So make sure you check out. Uh, Mox Roasters. Let me get those codes for you for both of them. Ross, what's the code for Bearster and Man?
1: And it is MTG Rants 2022. It's just our name, current year. Mm-hmm.
0: And you get 15% off at the checkout. Now, for this one, let me make sure because it's different. Let me make sure you I get believe this one right. It's just MTG Rants. Yeah, it's just MTG Rants, but it's in all caps. Make sure you use all caps. That's for 10% off of your order with Mox Roasters. Make sure you check them out. We also talked about recently about that uh, if you're in the like houston area they've got that tournament coming up at their location uh that is on may 1st so very soon you want to make sure that if you're in that area i'm pretty sure brent is actually going to those he tried to wriggle me in to be on his team and while i was very willing to do it i'm just like a i don't really want to travel for for magic right now and be like you can do better than me right now <laughs> trust me <laughs> and stuff so uh, but without further ado, before we get to the number one card on the list, we had a few cards that we wanted to talk about. Because there's a couple of cards that would have made uh, my top eight list a little bit more uh, in higher than Ross had them. And I want to talk about a couple of those cards that were overrated, underrated. For me, uh, a couple of the cards I wanted to talk about that I would have had in my top eight. One of them for me is Gala Greeters. And this is a card that's been getting a little bit of press for some of the stuff. This one is a one and a green for an elf druid. That's a one one. Now, it has an ability that says... Whenever another creature another creature enters the battlefield under your control, choose one of these that hasn't been chosen this turn. Put a +1/+1 plus one, plus one counter on Gala Greeders, uh, create a tapped treasure token, or you gain two life. I can actually see this card being um, a decent card in standard or a decent card in some of the pioneer decks. Uh, something like maybe even Wide Noda could be a card that would like this, or anything that's one in the cast collected company. Because I can see this card being very impactful in a lot of the matchups. In the fact that, like, you can start growing its body and gaining life against aggro decks. It's another token uh, treasure generator that's going to be good And if, like, we just get more things. Because here's the thing. At some point in time, they're just going to get, you know, more and more stuff that creates treasure. Treasure might be really good. And we might even be at that point now where treasure is good. Because, you know, we got to the point where food generation was really good. We got to the point where blood generation has been really good. And then there's artifact matters cards in these formats from the last set, you know, artifacts and enchantments matter. So I can see this card being a card that shows up just a little bit. And again, collect the company really, really good with this one. Cause you're immediately going to get one of those triggers and start kind of doing things and maybe on tap and do even more, have really
1: big turns. Uh, is this one of the ones that was like on your radar? Um, I I've definitely seen it around. I think it's a little bit overhyped. Um, I would say just a little bit too easy to kill early on because it grows at such a set rate. You can only put the plus and plus one counter once a turn. Um, so if you want this card to be a dominant creature on the battlefield, you need to be choosing that mode really, you know, really often. And then the fact that the treasures enter tapped—if the treasures entered untapped and you and you could use that mana to really reliably double trigger this every turn, so you're generating mana and growing once a turn—I'd be in. So it's not too far off. But I just don't see this card generating value fast enough for my taste because of the the restrictions that they put on it.
0: And so my next card, this is going to be my underrated card, and then we'll get into yours after this one. Uh, I have no idea how to pronounce this name, but it's like Gaida or, or whatever. It's G I A D A, Font of Hope. Do you have any idea how to pronounce that? That sounds about right. Sure one in a white for a legendary creature angel. It's a 2-2 two, two with flying and vigilance. Uh each other angel you control enters the battlefield with additional plus one plus one counter on it for each angel you already control, and then you can tap it for white mana, but you can only spend it to, uh, to cast angel spells. I actually think this card is is playable in like the pioneer historic stuff that's going on. Like we saw the collected company or just the angel decks show up and actually win quite a bit. This is a, one thing they've been they've been kind of like lacking on a good or another good two drop in the deck. Like, that deck really starts to hum at like three mana, right? Yeah. And do a bunch of broken stuff, and then they have like some one drops or whatever. This one is a mana accelerant, starts to get huge, grows your board, and it's just a good creature for two mana. So I can definitely see this card being really good. Also, like, this is a commander card for sure. Like, if you have an angel deck and commander, 100% this card's going in.
1: I do agree. It has an easy home in those decks. It should be great in those decks. I think those decks are are a little too one dimensional. Yeah, for, um, for my
0: taste, for sure. Yeah, but I, they're they're definitely underrated. Like a lot of people will just look over that list and they're like, yeah, whatever. And like I've played against it before. I mean, like I don't know how to beat this deck.
1: Like there is definitely some raw power there, and, and more good angels that cost less than three mana is definitely something that is going to make that deck significantly more explosive and consistent. Uh, and this one, you're right, it is a good one. Just. Two power flyer, you can attack and generate mana post combat, yeah. so you don't have to you know pick between the two. Uh, it's you know that the they, the creatures enter with extra counters, which means you're gaining more life off your righteous Valkyries, which means you're uh, you know getting to that mark even faster. It means they're getting even bigger, so you're it it really helps the the snowball get rolling down the hill. Um, so if yeah, this survives think,
0: against another creature deck, you're gonna win. If yeah. you play this and they don't kill it, you're you're winning the game.
1: I think that's a good pick for an underrated card. Mm-hmm. I'll, go, I'll give you that one.
0: Oh, thanks, Ross. I appreciate getting at least one. Is is this my one compliment for the year?
1: Uh,
0: I mean, you, you got it
1: early, so you've got a chance at a second.
0: Yeah, sure. So what's the joke? You know, men get one compliment in their lifetime, and, and it's like they think about it for the rest of their lives or whatever. All right. uh, Your underrated card, though, was Boon of Safety. What's this one do?
1: Uh, so this is a one white instant. It says put a shield counter on target creature and then scry one. Uh, very much in the vein of God's Willing. I think my underrated card in every set is just some sort of one-mana instant. <laughs> yeah, um, for know, sure. It's, a, it's just a one-mana instant that's common or one-mana creature like it was Voldar and Epicure uh, recently, if I remember. Um, but yeah, they always all, all... you know. I'm always looking at one-mana cards that do a good amount of stuff. And this one, I think, com- compares pretty favorably to God's Willing. You, you, you know, Boros Heroic is already a pretty good deck in Pioneer, and that deck would definitely play more than four God's Willings if it could. Uh, this is a significantly better card than a Johnny's Presence. I think Scry 1 is better than getting a plus 1, plus 1 counter. You can also do this proactively. Like, you don't have to constantly be holding it up. You can just put the shield counter on a creature when, when your opponent is tapped down, start pressing your advantage more, getting it even bigger earlier so that you can deal more damage immediately and not be worried about destroy effects. Obviously exile effects are still a problem. um though this stops this protects it from sweepers where God's willing doesn't. God's willing gets you through blockers, stops exile effects and bounce spells. so there, there's you know corner cases that favor each one. but overall, I think they are are relatively even. and I could definitely see now a Boris heroic deck that gets to play, you know four defiant strike, four ancestral anger, four God's willing, four boon of safety, and those are my 16 tricks. I have eight cantripping pump spells and eight protection spells. Let's go. Only the best ones. Don't have to play any chaff. Get these stupid fucking titan strengths out of my goddamn deck. uh, And just let me play the good cards. And, uh, you know, usually when you get to the point where you are no longer... Playing very mediocre cards to fill out your deck, and every card is good. And sometimes you're getting to the point where you're even cutting some of those good cards. Like that is an, a level up moment for a deck. Um, you know, there's uh, there's actually a an analogy that the um, the Utah Jazz radio guy uses. Uh, he does a daily podcast that I listen to, but he says, you know, every, and you know, when it comes to depth, like what you need is 240 minutes of NBA basketball, it's a 40 minute game. You have to put five people out there. So you need you need 240 minutes. And there are some guys that can give you 35, 40 minutes of NBA basketball a night. There are some guys that can only give you 20 to 25 minutes of NBA basketball a night, but as a team, you need 240. And there are teams that have that. And there are teams that don't. Some teams have more than that so that they can withstand injuries more easily. Like, to build a really good deck, ideally you want to have, you know, 75 good cards. <laughs> and yeah, uh, you know, sometimes there's just not enough. And now you're, you know, trying to make the most out of mediocre cards, the way, you know, a, a worse NBA team might be trying to get the most out of minutes from a subpar player. So Boon Safety, I think, really rounds out those Boris Heroic decks really nicely, but is also a fine protection spell for, you know, other decks if it ends up being relevant for them. I think the fact that you can cast it proactively, so that you don't have to constantly be holding up the one mana, it really opens up the options for what you can do and allows you to be a lot more aggressive, which is what you naturally want to do anyway, you know. Um, and uh, the you know, it's just a, a very good trick with an obvious home in Pioneer, and that's good enough to get it on my list.
0: Yep, absolutely. Uh, one more card I wanted to mention that like might have made my list that didn't make this one is uh, depopulate. You know, the four mana wrath that's in, that's in this set. But you did have a card that you wanted to talk about that you thought was overrated as well, and it happens to be that character that we just mentioned that we're not sure to pronounce their name.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you said G A I, didn't you? Uh, I'm maybe I dyslexic. That, yes, it's, G-I-A. It's, it's G-I-A. So I've just been pronouncing it Giada. Giada. Okay, okay. I, I must
0: have just in my mind. I probably flipped him. That's why I yeah. couldn't
1: figure it out because I'm stupid. All right. Yeah. I mean, so this is Luxior, or gift. Uh, probably the most talked about card in the set. I I would say um, just because it, of the obvious, you know, combo with devoted druid in modern. You know, one mana one man legendary equipment equips for three. You can equip a planeswalker for one. Equip creature gets plus and plus one for each counter on it. Equip permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition to its other types. Loyalty abilities can still be activated. I still don't understand how that works under the rules, but okay. Um, regardless, um, you know, like I, I understand that it goes into you know the, the, the devoted to a deck. It's like a one of in that deck. The fact that it can be tutored by two really good cards, you know, is uh, is really cool. Um, you know, Urza's Saga and Stoneforge Mystic are both really good, and honestly, like that is. That is what makes, like, the, all of, the reason that this card is good is entirely dependent on other cards. It's just the fact that it is a a combo piece with Devoted Druid that can be tutored by two other cards that are actively good. As opposed to Vizier of Remedies that needs to be tutored by, you know, Court of Calling that is kind of clunky. Or, um, you know, uh, Eladomri's Call, uh, which is also quite clunky. So... Like, this card itself is not particularly good like what's happening is it's just allowing you to build a much better devoted druid deck um so it's not like luxior is like you know the, the key the key is just being able to build a deck with better cards in it and i'm still i'm just not convinced that that deck is going to be better than hammer i'm still just not i'm not quite there um i th- i think part of the issue with that is not the vizier part of it it's the devoted druid part of it Like, when your combo piece is a two-mana creature that dies to everything and you need to untap with it, like, that's kind of a problem. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, this doesn't do anything towards solving that problem. I think you could easily see the deck become a sort of, you know, just solid fringe archetype. And if it does, you know, that's cool. Maybe then I'm giving it too much shit because, you know, being a modern playable card is tough to do. Uh, Most cards aren't. Uh, but with the amount of hype that I've I've heard around it, uh, it just seems like it's it's being a, a little bit overblown to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of agree with everything you say there, though. I do think that this card has a shot. We'll we'll see. But it's it's really cool. I think this is one that you might see you know somewhere in command or whatever. But you know, I think if people have waited long enough. I think it's time to tell them the number one, and if and if they've been listening a little bit or following along really well, I think they've kind of guessed it, and yep, it is Obnixilis the Adversary. This is one that has a lot of press behind it, a lot of hype behind it, and I think this one's probably going to live up to the hype. I'm going to read this one off, and I'm going to let Ross go, because he's the red-black sacrifice guy. Obnixilis the Adversary. One red-black for a legendary planeswalker. It's Nixilis. It starts with three loyalty. Um, when I'm sorry, excuse me. Let me get this right. Uh, it has causality x uh i'm sorry casualty x i it's so small on my list i always do that has casualty x uh the copy isn't legendary and has starting loyalty x so as you cast this spell you may sacrifice a creature with power x when you do copy the spell the copy becomes a token and it'll have loyalty equal to the power of, of the creature you know kind of thing now the three abilities plus one each opponent loses two life unless they discard a card if you control a demon or a devil, you gain two life. Minus two, it creates one one red devil token with the you know, the ability that it always has. When it dies, it deals one damage to any target. Minus seven. Target player draws seven cards and
1: loses seven life. Ross, have had it. So the the one thing the first thing that you have to know is that the bar for three mana planeswalkers is pretty low.
0: Yeah, it's a lot different be being a 3-mana
1: Planeswalker good. than a 4-mana Planeswalker. Because the earlier you can get it down, the harder it is to activate, and or the harder it is to attack, and that means you're probably forcing them to use a pretty good removal spell on a less powerful card, because it's still a Planeswalker. Or, you're forcing them to attack it multiple times, you're making their development really awkward, and you're very likely to get multiple activations out of it. Now, each activation on Obnixilus is not worth a whole lot. Oftentimes, a plus one is just going to be a shock to the face, minus two, getting a devil token. You know, that's, you know, um, that's like a one mana card. You know, it's a, it's a one one um, that, you know, at best it's going to trade for a two two. Um, but, if, you know, if it trades for a card, cool. But now when you when you start activating multiple times and you've gotten, you know, two life out of it and the one one that traded for something, uh, maybe you're activating a third time and you're getting 2 one ones 1-1s and two life out of it, or now you're starting to get a card out of it because you're pressuring your opponent and they can't afford to lose that much life. You're getting a card out of, out of the plus one. It, it doesn't take long for those things to compound and add up to something that has generated significant value. And then, finally, you've got the casualty on top of it. Now, suddenly, you're doubling the rate at which this is compounding because you're getting two activations a turn. So that second turn that you're likely to get because you're landing this early is now four activations you're getting out of it. Or maybe your opponent, you know, attacked down one of them because that's all they could afford to do because you had a blocker in the way. So they are forced to attack everything at one of them to deal with one copy. Now you've untapped with the other copy and you're getting a third activation out of it and you have forced your opponent's hand on all of, the, you know, on multiple turns of their early development. Maybe you're able to get a good block out of the way or a trade that you're happy to have because you're playing a sacrifice deck. So you've probably got a lot of creatures that are do something reasonable when they die, you know. Uh, and then, you know, if you if you ever get that like third untap with two of these, which doesn't even seem that outlandish, like just spamming that plus one, you're going to get to the point where they have to start discarding cards very quickly, or you're going to generate this huge battlefield of tokens and you know, be able to go off with any sort of sacrifice outlet. So the fact that this card, the, the casualty part of it, I think it makes it very difficult to answer on a one-for-one basis. And you're going to find in a lot of games that you're going to get three, four, five, six total Nixilis activations out of this end of the copy that you get. And that is a ridiculous amount of value for three mana. And then the last part of it that I wanted to note that puts it kind of over the top for me is that the when you draw extra copies, the casualty part of it makes non legendary uh, copies so that, yeah, like the the new one will legend rule. If if that becomes a thing, but you're still getting, you're like it's not a completely dead extra card, so you don't have the same diminishing returns that you often do in legendary cards, which is a minor point. Uh, I think it's often understated, but it is still something, and it's nice to have because it makes it very easy for you to just slam four of these in your deck and consistently draw them and not really worry about it. The minus seven, I don't think is going to come up all that often because usually sacrifice decks don't play very big creatures. You know, the, the idea there is to casualty with a, a big X so that you get up to the ultimate pretty quickly. Um, but if you do, like, you're going to win the game. You're either targeting yourself and you're drawing seven cards and you're way ahead, or you're targeting them because they're at seven or less life and now they're literally dead. Um, so that's the one thing I do look at is if, if there is an ultimate that I'm building towards, like, is not going to win the game reliably? And this one also is. So, you know, if that that's all I really care about getting out of my ultimates, and uh, you know we've checked every single box basically. Uh, um, I'm you know, and then I guess I should say one other last thing is like Racto Sacrifice decks have been good, so there's an obvious home here in, in a lot of different formats. So uh, a good rate. I think it does something very unique that we haven't really seen out of Planeswalkers before. I guess there was that that like Jace that made copies, um, but I don't think its abilities were nearly as good as as what this is. Um, and I, I think make, here you have to like spend extra mana for that, right? It was like th- it was the Jace of Kicker. The fact that you don't have to spend any extra mana, you just get to like sacrifice a shambling gast and either kill their early creature or make a treasure so you can cast a fatal push or a you know strangle or you know whatever, uh, or cast another one drop a, a Valoran Epicure. Uh, there's the red one drop from this set that when it dies you get to shander twice. You know maybe you start playing that. I don't know, but. It's a lot of value. I think the card's really good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, you kind of hit a bunch of the spots right there. Like you talked about the card a lot. And for me, it's like, what else can I say other than the card's really good, right? Like, because it has a home, right? We've seen these red, black decks and these like red, black value decks a lot over the last couple of years. And they just keep printing the cards. That seems to be what they want red and black to do is sacrifice these things, get some kind of value. Uh, play these creatures that generate or things that generate other tokens get some kind of value you know you're looking at just all the cards that they've made in these sets recently and this card just fits right and so this is one of the one one of the only cards on this entire list that you look at it and you're like this already fits in like everything it's already trying to do all these other cards are kind of like yeah these will be good these can go in some other stuff. a few of them have fit really well but this is the one that's like this fits perfectly four give me four f- four of them just put just put them in the deck right just throw it in there and, yeah, this card's really powerful, really good. You're going to be playing against it a lot. I really like the fact that you brought up the, the multiple extra copies, because I didn't even think about the fact that, like, yeah, that one's not legendary. Like, you could just do it again. And now you have you have infinite copies of this card. Like, I want to activate the same Planeswalker, but not same Planeswalker, three times. I want to activate this ob, this ob, and this ob, you know, three times in a turn. And, and that's like,
1: pretty cool. When they like, start doing that,
0: how many times can they really afford to take the two? Yeah, they can, right? And like, here's the other crazy part about that. It's like, that's one of the worst parts about having a four part of a, a four uh, copies of, of a legendary in your deck. It's like, if you draw the extra copies, generally the second copy is not good, right? Generally, like, there's some cards that are fine. This one, you're like, I'm completely fine just legend ruling myself, right? You'd be like, all right, start my turn, minus two to this op, play the next one, like, sacrifice the creature or, or whatever, you know, just like sacrifice whatever to the second one, make a copy, not the creature that you got from op, but you get what I'm saying sacrifice my two drop or whatever. And yeah, like this card's going to be great. I think it's gonna be really good. I think it has the chance to be format defining in standard and standard adjacent stuff. And that's why it's gonna be number one on this list. Yeah. I also really
1: like, um, I really like, um, my, my sacrifice decks to have an aggressive bent to them. Uh, I've explained this before, but I'll briefly go over it again. Um, Because when you're able to just put that kind of pressure on your opponent's life total, it makes it so that your opponent is then forced to use their removal in a way that protects their life total. You know, kill the biggest creature, the creature that is attacking me. And that gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of what threats you deploy to force your opponent to use the removal the way you want them to, to leave yourself with all the right tools to get your engine going and have a strong long aim even through their disruption. So I've always liked having a more aggressive bent to them for that because it gives me a lot more control over how my opponent plays the game rather than just trying to outgrind them. And then my opponent knows that and is like, okay, I just need to stop their source of their card advantage, break up their engine, and I should be okay. And they've got the time to be able to save specific removal spells for the right targets in order to do that. So when you cut away that time and force them to use the removal as they draw it, it makes it a whole lot harder. And so that that life loss, you know, may not seem like much but when you're when you get four activations out of it suddenly you've probably dealt your opponent six damage. I would say probably most of the time they're probably going to take six and discard a card, maybe take eight, depending upon how much pressure you've put them under. It's going to make it a lot easier for you to just sneak through the last few points of damage with Meat Hook Massacre or Mayhem Devil or Haste Threats or Shrapnel Blast if you're an artifact-centric deck or grinding uh, life points with Anvil um, and, and things like that. So... You know, that little bit of value and those, you know, that can, in a lot of games, gets easily dismissed, and when evaluating cards gets easily dismissed, I think is particularly important in these kind of Rakdos sacrifice decks, because you win a lot of games by just sneaking right over the finish line, you know, when your opponent is almost stabilized, uh, because you were able to just hang into a game long enough and plunk in for a few points here and a few points there. Um, So that, like, the fact that, you know, yeah in a vacuum that's not a lot of value but in the exact kind of deck that this card wants to be in it's the kind of deck that is going to maximize that little bit of marginal value
0: yeah absolutely love that card as a number one i don't think there's gonna be too many arguments there you know even if we're wrong it's still gonna be like the strongest number two you know that we've seen in a while so real real happy with this one being at the top of the list Um, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. I know it's going to be a little on the shorter end, but we're probably going to try to get another episode this week if we can. I know Ross and I were a little late on this one compared to last week. Uh, Our schedules just didn't line up. Ross is a little under the weather. I've been insanely busy over the last three or four days, so we haven't been able to just get together. So we apologize to everybody at home that's been waiting for this episode to come out. We'll have another one out for you as soon as possible. But Ross, if people wanted to hear more of your depravity about uh, the Utah jazz, wherever they go.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, first place is my Twitter account. I am at Ross Hunteds, Uh, and that's the best place to just keep, uh, abreast of all of my magic things and Utah jazz basketball. So, um, you know, you will hear me, you know, in the depths of despair if they are losing by a single point, and absolutely elated if they are winning by a single point. <laughs> so my entire mental state hinges on a single shot, which is probably not the best, but that's the way we're living right now, and that's the way it's going to stay. Um, so you can drop me a follow there and uh, figure out when things are happening for me, magic wise, and then um, I uh promise everyone the stream will come back soon, and that is uh, my Twitch is just Ross underscore Miriam, uh, and you can just drop me a follow there for now until I start streaming again and then I start begging for all of your money, um, and I would appreciate that. I do have a third thing to mention this week. Uh, I'm doing commentary with Corey Baumeister for the Man of Traders event this weekend. So Saturday starting at 10 a.m. and Sunday at 4 p.m. for the top eight. Uh, this weekend's event is Pioneer. So all you Pioneer fans, if you're not playing in it, you can watch the coverage. It's going to be Corey and me all weekend uh, doing the entire event. So I'm going to be in the booth for quite a long time, hopefully with no uh, technical difficulties like the last time. Uh, and we're going to be covering some sweet Pioneer matches. So I uh, hope you all can tune into that. Um and I'm sure I'll be tweeting about it several times this week so uh you can figure it out from uh information from there as well. Um so that's gonna be all for me. Tannen, if people wanna keep abreast with the state of Atlanta Braves baseball, currently <laughs> a sub five hundred baseball team. Very true, yeah. Where might they go?
0: they uh, go to my Twitter they can go to, um, uh, at the t- to t- atlantabraves.com <laughs> yeah, exactly right uh, I'll just I'll look here anytime someone says something about it I just, uh, Ross can see this I'll show them a little more afterwards but anytime they want to say something about you know oh, we're a sub 500 team I'm showing Ross a world championship ring right now with, of the Atlanta Braves so there's a
1: like, lot of fake diamonds on that ring yes there was yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so I got one of the replica rings from, from their game so but if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter it's at the Tan and Grace. you can find our uh, podcast as well over there on NTG Rant so make sure do yourself a favor follow there for all of the news of when the newest episodes go live or when you can follow me and ross along in our journeys of magic or flesh and blood for me and i will say this expect more magic from me this year with the op announcements and paper magic coming back i think i'm coming back too so but anyway we'll see y'all as soon as possible for our next episode possibly another one this week or very early next week sorry about that everybody at home but we love each and every one of y'all and we'll see y'all next time